So these are unusual days, folks. I, I, I think you're aware of that. And our series on government is uh, fitting. So we're going to continue it uh, tonight. Last week in the series, we uh, spoke about uh, what we owe as Christian citizens, what we owe the government. And I mentioned, just by way of review, three things submission, uh, taxation, and intercession, or prayer. And tonight, I would like for us to address this question. I surely do. Uh, What do we not owe the government? We spoke about what we owe the government tonight. It's a little controversial. What do we not owe the government? So I mentioned that we owe the government, and this raised a lot of Uh, eyebrows, I mentioned that we owe the government unconditional submission. And I could see the thoughts going in your mind, Uh, because you could think of all kinds of situations where it seems that that doesn't fit. Uh, So I, I mentioned that it does, and that we do owe the government unconditional submission, and that I I got that. I think that thought is made clear in passages of Scripture like this one, Romans 13, verse 1. Paul is writing, every person is to be in subjection, it says, to the governing authorities. So that looks like it's an absolute edict without exception. For there's no authority except from God. So our submission to government derives from the fact that God is behind government. And so Romans 13.1 seems to indicate that uh, we do owe the government unconditional submission. But uh, before you run off or throw something, let me offer this. Though we owe the government unconditional submission, we do not owe the government unconditional obedience. So you see, this is the loophole to the absolute statement I made last week. So here's the point. Where there is conflict between obedience to God and obedience to the government, obedience to God must prevail. And I think I can prove to you from Scripture that that is the case. So I did a survey of examples of what we could call civil disobedience in the Bible. Cases where it appears uh, God authorized uh, his people to disobey various government policies or laws. So let me give you a quick review of some of those key passages of Scripture. Here's the first. It's in Exodus chapter 1. Do you remember uh, what Pharaoh required of the Hebrew midwives? When these Hebrew women bear a child particularly a male child, Pharaoh said, I want you to murder the child. Those midwives, uh, their names were Pua and Shifra. I'll tell you why that's meaningful to me. Uh, my, one of my granddaughters is named Shifra, which means beautiful, and she is, not just by name, but she's just beautiful. And I'm so glad my kids didn't choose the other name for her, Pua. I'll settle for Shifra. So, 
So the Hebrew midwives essentially said, no way, we must obey God rather than man. And it appears that God authorized it, not only authorized it, but he rewarded them in various ways thereafter. A second example of civil disobedience. See, Pharaoh was the authorized governmental leader, and yet these two ladies found reason to disobey his edict in order to obey God's higher law. And here's another case. It's in Exodus chapter 5. And this has to do with the children of Israel. Uh, God said to Pharaoh, let my people go. He resisted. And at a certain point, the Israelites, the ancient Israelites, went anyway, even without Pharaoh's authorization. So, and then it appears that God supported them in spite of the fact that they civilly disobeyed the government. And then here's another episode in Joshua chapter 2. Do you remember Rahab? Uh, she was a lady with a rather sordid uh, character and past. She was a harlot, Scripture says. She lived in Jericho, and she refused to reveal to the government the whereabouts of Hebrew spies who were sent to do a kind of reconnaissance mission in the land. Instead, she actually hid them and provided for them uh, until she suggested to them a way of escape from the governmental authorities. Again, not only did God permit this, he rewarded it because Rahab, of all people, uh, you perhaps know this, found her way into the list of faithful people as contained in Hebrews chapter 11. And then in Daniel chapter 3, uh, we read about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Hebrews enslaved uh, in a foreign land. Uh, when I was much younger in the faith, we used to refer to these three as uh, your shack, my shack, and a bungalow. And this is how we remembered them. They refused to worship Nebuchadnezzar's idol. Nebuchadnezzar was the duly appointed governmental leader in that day, and God miraculously delivered them. And then in Daniel chapter 6, uh, Daniel himself refused a governmental order requiring him to cease offering worship to the true God. Stop praying to him. That was the governmental law. And Daniel refused and as a result was thrown into the lion's den. But you know the wonderful story. God miraculously delivered him from it all. And then moving on to the New Testament, you can see civil disobedience there as well. And so in Matthew chapter 2, the Magi uh, disobeyed King Herod's order. Again, he was the then official governmental leader. King Herod said to the uh, Magi, uh, when you go and find this infant Jesus, I want you to come back and report about it to me. In a dream, however, God told them, do not do that. Don't go back to Herod and don't tell him a thing. So they not only... Uh, disobeyed the 
government, but they were told to do so by Almighty God himself. And then moving on in the New Testament, Acts chapter 4 and 5, the Sanhedrin, that was the Jewish council, the religious governing authorities of the day. Uh, The Sanhedrin ordered that the apostles cease to preach Jesus. Stop doing it. And the apostles, you know what they said, we must obey God rather than man. And so they disobeyed that governmental order. And then finally, there are more, but we'll end with this. Revelation chapter 13 speaks about a period of time known as the time of Jacob's trouble or the great tribulation period. During that time, there's a remnant of those who do not submit to the edicts of the Antichrist, and they refuse to do so, and uh, they become civilly disobedient during the time of the Great Tribulation. Now, what is it that all of these examples of biblically authorized civil disobedience, what do they have in common? I think it's this. Tell me if you think maybe I'm right In each case that I just offered to you, uh, people were commanded, commanded to do something that would cause them to violate the command of God. In every case, if you think about them, this is the case. So, for instance, obeying Pharaoh would have made the midwives murderers, and we know that's a violation of God's commandment. Obeying Nebuchadnezzar would have made Daniel and his friends idolaters. And we know that's a violation of the commandment of God. Obeying the Sanhedrin would have made the apostles disobedient to the Great Commission. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. And so in each case of civil disobedience, which we quickly reviewed, in each case of civil disobedience in the Bible... The government ordered people to do something that would cause them to disobey God. That's a case of biblically authorized civil disobedience. But to my knowledge, please think about this and send me an email if I'm making an incorrect statement. I haven't found one example in the Bible of authorized civil disobedience when the government passes a law that simply permits evil. No, when the government passes a law that requires evil, we're authorized to disobey. When it passes a law that simply permits it, we're not authorized to disobey. So, for example, in both Old and New Testament times, there was something legalized. It was called infanticide. After the baby was born, it was an infant, parents could make a decision to murder the child, terminate its life. That was legal. And yet at no time did believers attempt to stop that evil through acts of civil disobedience. I didn't say they didn't pray and maybe exercise other means to put a stop to it but we don't have a record of early believers exercising civil disobedience to put infanticide to an end. Now, let me bring it a little uh, closer to uh, home. Um, The government 
as we've been speaking about it, permitted the evil of infanticide, but it did not require it. So a more contemporary issue for us is that of abortion. Uh, sadly, it is legalized in our nation at present, and 60 million babies have been murdered. Um, by the way, what happens to babies when they die? Yeah, Billy, they go straight to heaven. Well, how do we know that? Uh, uh, sin, but babies are conceived in sin, right? So sin keeps someone out of heaven, doesn't it? No. Sin doesn't keep someone out of heaven. Rejection of the sin bearer keeps someone out of heaven. What baby has rejected Jesus, the sin bearer? See, the baby, though conceived in sin, has never rejected the Savior. Therefore, do you know when you read in Revelation in the end times about myriad upon myriad gathered around the throne offering praise to Almighty God? I think it's those 60 million babies. Well, anyway, what about abortion? If the government mandated that a believer have an abortion, civil disobedience is justified. Folks, it's not far-fetched. That already takes place in places like China. They want to limit population growth, and therefore they permit families a certain number of children. If you exceed the quota, then the option, no, the non-option, the law, the mandate is that you murder that extra superficial baby. But if you were a believer living in China, you must civilly disobey because that law is absolutely contrary to the prevailing value system and commandment of Almighty God. So if the government allows evil, we cannot disobey it. If it mandates you and I to do evil, we must respectfully disobey. Why? Look, Christians nowhere in the Bible are instructed to use civil disobedience to try to regulate the morals of unsaved people. People who don't know the Lord Jesus need to be saved. And once they come to know him, they get the mind of Christ. Therefore, all efforts to reform their morality through civil disobedience are useless until they're regenerated, just like you and I have been. So we must, or we must disobey if a law compels us to sin. But we must not disobey if a law allows someone else to sin. So then let me ask you this. Can you, a Christian, um, in, with justification, can you trespass? at an abortion clinic? The answer is no, you cannot. Why not? Well, for this reason. Believers cannot break good laws in order to keep people from doing what bad laws permit. We're not allowed to do that. So you can protest, for sure, but you cannot disobey. So that you may not like a particular governmental policy or law, though you may think a particular governmental requirement is wrong, you cannot disobey it on that ground. 
You cannot disobey a law, in other words, because you think it unjust or unfair. For instance, a fisherman may feel it to be unfair for the law to limit his daily catch of a particular kind of fish. But that is not legitimate reason for that Christian fisherman to disobey the law. Um, helmet laws. Some bikers hate that idea that they're required to wear a helmet. You can dislike it all you want. If you're a Christian, you must obey the law. It is not requiring you to do evil. It's just requiring you to be uncomfortable. We cannot disobey a law just because we don't like it. You can only disobey the law if it requires you to violate God's higher law. So all of us have a measure of rebellion in us. That's what it is to be sinners. And because of our sin nature, it needs to be put in check. That's what the law is intended to do. It's a check on our otherwise unrestrained carnal desires. And therefore, if a law does not require us to violate God's law, we must obey it. So civil disobedience should only be resorted to when all else has failed. In a free society like ours, a democratic society, there are alternative ways to address unjust, immoral laws short of civil disobedience. When all other measures have failed, then and only then is civil disobedience justified. So once again, civil disobedience is only justified when complying with man's law, here's the word, obligates you to violate God's law. So the point is that disobeying the laws of the land must not be taken lightly for those of us who are followers of the Lord Jesus. We have to represent him well. So though our citizenship is indeed in heaven, still we must be the best citizens we can here on earth. But though disobeying the law of the land is always serious, it is not always wrong. There are, in fact, times when a believer must, as we've mentioned, obey God rather than man. So here's the point. If there is absolutely no place for civil disobedience, then what we have is idolatry. The government is put in the place of Almighty God, to whom alone we owe unconditional obedience. No, but the government must be under God, not above God. But what about a passage like this? 1 Peter chapter 2, 13 and 14. Submit yourselves to the Lord's, uh, for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as the one in authority or to governors as sent by him. Here's the response. It is the institution of government that is to be respected and submitted to by Christians. But this passage says nothing about us in an unconditional way obeying every policy of that government. 
Now, this was the thinking of many Bible-believing early uh, Christians who were members of the 13 colonies from which we come. They were prepared to revolt against the strongest empire on earth at the time, the British. So there's debate. Was the American Revolution itself, did that take place on non-biblical grounds? It was an act of civil disobedience. Was the American Revolution itself the foundation of our country did we get off to an unbiblical, sinful start or not? Well, I want to tell you, uh, that is quite a debatable issue, but let me offer this for now. The colonists did not see themselves as being anti-government. They saw themselves as being anti-tyranny. There's a big difference. So they supported the institution of government. They were not anarchists, the likes of which we're seeing in major American cities today. Those are people who want to submit to no authority. Their agenda is, don't tell me what to do or not do. That is not what the founders were thinking. They respected government. How do I know this? Do you notice, if you're a historian, the speed with which uh, the founders of our nation quickly reestablished government? They realized that it was a God-ordained institution without which society would be unrestrained. So they were not anti-government. They were anti-tyranny. Uh, furthermore, the... Uh, Biblically astute folks who participated in the American Revolutionary War saw it to be a defensive action, not an offensive war. They didn't see it to be something they initiated. They didn't just quickly take up arms against the British uh, government. In fact, first, they approached the king, the British king, with all kinds of appeals for justice and uh, mediation and reconciliation, and they were rebuffed. In fact, the leader of the British Empire responded to them with armed military force. Do you remember the Boston Massacre? The British fired upon unarmed citizens, and they then saw their response to be self-defense, not an offensive war of conquest to undermine the government. They sought to be their right to exercise self-defense, and surely that right is couched in Scripture. You don't have to look far to make the point that we are permitted to exercise self-defense, and that's what the founders thought they were, the Christian ones thought they were doing. The colonists saw themselves to be defending themselves. Theirs was not a war of conquest. So, though the Christian citizen may not be able to obey the government in every uh, instance, true submission to the government is always required. Now, how do, you, how do you make sense of that? Folks, generally, submission is shown by obedience, generally. 
But when one cannot in clear conscience obey, he or she can still demonstrate a submissive spirit to those in authority. In other words, there's never an excuse for we Christian citizens to be insubordinate with reference to the institution of government. So one of the ways in which a Christian citizen who must disobey the law of the land can still show his attitude of submissiveness is to accept the consequences of disobeying the law. That is the ultimate act of submission to the government. One looks the government in the eye and says in so many words, I cannot in clear conscience obey the law you are requiring of me. For to do so would obligate me to disobey God. And I must obey God rather than you, the government. However, out of respect to government, since I know it's ordained by God, I am willing to accept the consequences, though I believe they are unjust. Still, I'm willing to accept the consequences of my disobedience to your law. So in the biblical cases we went over earlier, you could see Daniel did not object to the consequences to be imposed upon him. The apostles didn't object at all. They took all kinds of consequences, including prison sentences. So civil disobedience does not necessarily show disrespect for the government at all. In fact, nor for its law, a person who disobeys the law in favor of obeying God instead and then willingly accepts the penalty is really showing high respect for the law. Now, does that mean a Christian imprisoned on trumped up or unjust charges should do nothing about it? I didn't say that. That Christian should use the full extent of the law to secure his or her freedom. Uh, uh, but that Christian has no right to be insubordinate. Uh, so that person can uh, demand his or her rights under the law and is still uh, showing respect for the law. So here's the truth, and you and I might be faced with it. Uh, a person may be morally innocent and yet legally found guilty. Do you know this? Because the law of man is not the law of God. It's flawed. So a person, I'll repeat it, can in fact be morally innocent and yet legally by the laws of the land guilty. And out of respect for the law, that one accepts the consequences of disobeying the law. And so that distinguishes his actions from anarchy and insubordination. What we're seeing today uh, is a far cry from the option of civil disobedience, which I believe is extended to us if we must obey God uh, rather than, than man. So um, in conclusion, let me just say, uh, if it is always right to disobey the government, we have anarchy. 
But if it is never right to disobey the government, we have idolatry. So you and I have to strike the balance. It's not that difficult. If the laws of the land require us to disobey the higher laws of God, what are you going to do about it? You must obey God rather than man. Now, I want to tell you, this whole discussion would have been so far-fetched not too many years ago for we who are Americans. Well, it's not far-fetched at all. It It is upon us. There is a very aggressive anti-God, anti-Christian agenda in our country today. Uh, The election, which is upon us in 20-some-odd day, in my opinion, has little to do with politics and much to do with spiritual warfare. Uh, So... uh, uh, It's quite critical, it seems to me, and depending on how it goes, I think you and I may, in fact, be facing uh, an increasing encroachment upon our um, hitherto taken-for-granted freedoms as Christians. So what do we do about it? If I was you, I would be overcome with terror and fear and panic, and I would dig a cave or shelter, stock it with non-perishable food items, and live in it until the time of the Lord's return. Or else you could say, oh God in heaven, the nations of the world scheme against you, and you laugh. Psalm 2. Really, really encouraging. Our God reigns. I know for sure what my decision is about the next election, who I'm going to vote for. I know this. And at my weaker moments, I panic if uh, things don't happen the way I really want them to happen. And then I have to remember, even in this day when Paul wrote passages like Romans 13, you had characters like Nero and Caligula and all of these horrifically evil men requiring worship and persecuting minority groups, not the least of which are folks like us Christians. And still our father accomplished his purposes through them. So we have cause to be at peace and to rest. It's a discipline we have to work on. Pray. Exercise your vote. And then say, oh God, have your way. Accomplish your purposes. Now, folks, um, um, The number one weapon we have is not burning down buildings. It's setting the world on fire by praying. (laughs) Can you imagine immediate access to the King of Kings just because Jesus enabled it and we come to the Father through him? So this being the case, I would like to ask you to bow in prayer now. 
and um, where you are, if you could just feverishly intercede and pray for our country in our election. You can pray specifically for tonight's debate. You can uh, pray uh, for the candidate you think most represents um, a biblical platform. You could pray as God uh, puts things on your heart. You could pray that we Christian citizens would not be uh, more tied to our American citizenship and politics than we are to the king on high who's neither Republican nor Democrat. You can pray that God's agenda would take place more than ever, even through ones such as us. And I know what his agenda is. He desires for none to perish, but for all uh, to be saved. That's our distinctive contribution. So would you bow and just uh, do some real uh, spiritual warfare praying. Pray against the prince of darkness, not to him. You pray against him, to the father, who is greater than the adversary of the brethren, uh, greater than the evil one. You could pray that God would bind him <laughs> and that God's redemptive plan would run its course in our country and worldwide in spite of all attempts to interfere with it. Please take a few moments and then I'll close. Oh, God in heaven, in these quiet moments, a powerful transaction has taken place. Ordinary people like us have been engaged in an extraordinary activity, and that is to beseech you, oh, God in heaven, to intervene mercifully with regard to our country and the world. How could it be that we would doubt your willingness to do so, nor your ability to change things. How could it be that you would have spoken the world, the cosmos, into existence in the power of your word and not be able to control mere man and woman? Oh, we thank you for the institution of government, family, and church, three divinely ordained institutions, and yet with lots of problems because flawed people are part of them. We don't pray against the government. We pray against evil government policies. We pray, oh God, that you might bless us 
with governmental leaders who allow us as Christians to lead a quiet and tranquil life in all godliness and dignity so that we can live out our value system, propagate the gospel without it being criminalized. God, we pray for the Christians imprisoned even in our country. I think of one in particular unjustly behind bars. And I pray, oh God, that you might, yes, release him, them, but even bless him, them, in their present situation with growth and fruit and increasing dependence on you. Thank you, O God, that we have no cause to fear mere men who can only affect the body, but you who control our souls. We pray, Lord Jesus, that there might be revival in our land. It has to start with us. That means we ask you to move us to repentance What's slowing us down? What's compromising our testimony? What's keeping us from representing you well? Oh, God in heaven, we thank you for letting us be alive in this day because we really can function as salt and light in the darkness. I pray, oh, God, you would mobilize us with greater boldness than ever before to simply tell people about you, Savior and Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for telling us about the future, even before it's come to pass, because you see the end from the beginning. We thank you that it's glorious. All we have to do is persevere and endure until your government on earth is ushered in. Until that happens, oh God, please find us to be faithful. Citizens of heaven, absolutely, but also the best citizens on earth. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.